The Start. On Demand. On Demand. It's Friday, and we try to have as much fun as we can on Friday. And today, we had fun with cheesy 80s pop songs because we learned on Wednesday that the 80s is the best decade of music to help you reduce your stress. The Scotties starts today. Five Manitoba teams will break down all the action that lies ahead. Black History Month continues. We learned on Thursday that many Canadians think schools could do a better job of teaching black history. Today, we spoke to the principal at Ecole Templeton, who has been highlighted as a black leader in our community. And the alternate ending of Titanic has once again gone viral, and Greg and Loren are disgusted. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Friday, February 19th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Phil Collins, easy lover to kick off the theme or one of the themes that we're going to be talking about today. Cheesy 80s pop songs. I've been excited about this since Wednesday when Hal brought it up. I love 80s music. It's uh, It does make me happy. Hal revealed something to us on Wednesday, and we can play that clip in a moment. But, uh, Loren, I just wanted to ask you first, because you, you kind of took umbrage with Hal when he... <laughs> he said, well, more it's more the poppy stuff because you said Bon Jovi. So are we going to hear some Bon Jovi today? No, that's not my choice, but that's my first thought whenever I think of the 80s and when I think of music that makes me happy and when I think of the requests I make to any and all DJs in any and all situations. So, yeah, <laughs> it probably should include Bon Jovi. So if you don't like that, you know where you can take that. But I'll come up with something else, okay? Is that going to make, just to make the masses happy? Yes. Who also love Bon Jovi, so I don't even know why this is a conversation, because the masses do. You know what? I've just talked myself right back into uh, JBJ. Yes, I think you did. Just went a full circle there. I'm right back to it. JBJ coming down, 647. (laughs) Don't forget Philip Bailey in this song. Yeah. It's got an incredible drum section in this, because, of course, Phil Collins is an amazing drummer. What? I just don't like Phil Collins. What was Phil that Collins. noise? What was that like noise? Phil. I don't like Phil Collins. Interesting. This is a great song. Fun song. I know. I love this tune. So here's what's here's the deal. Loren mentioned it. 647. We are going to have a chat about cheesy 80s pop songs. And we need you to text us at 204-780-6868. Your favorite cheesy 80s pop songs and why. But here, just for some context... Here's what Hal Anderson told us Wednesday morning just after 8.30. Cheesy 80s pop songs are the best for beating stress, according to a new study. So when you are stressed out, uh, make sure your playlist, the music you're listening to, include beloved cheesy hits from the 80s. They most pacify the effect on participants in this study 96% of the group reported a decrease in blood pressure listening to cheesy 80s pop songs, and 36% also felt their heart rate drop. So there you go. Cheesy 80s pop songs, uh, the best to beat stress. So there you go. That's the impetus. That's the, 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 the classification for... You to send us those texts, and then at 9.15, we're going to give away a Santa Lucia pizza gift card, $20 worth, based on your text messages, and we're going to play your songs throughout the morning. I um, I had a hard time picking just one, so I picked several. 
I noticed that. <laughs> That's okay. We can play them throughout the morning. <laughs> the one that I told you that I was picking, I've taken it off the table. What? Yeah. I switched. I switched. Why? Well, because well, if I had to pick one, the one that I'm putting in the mix is the one that I'm going to put into the mix. But if I get a chance for a second one, then uh, it'll be the original one that I oh. shared with you. Okay. We should throw, is this for a win, a contest or, yeah. or for fun? Yes, that's what I thought. Sorry, I just wanted to double check because the, I think that to make it even better sell, people should tell us why. But then if they have a picture of them from said 80s era. Oh, oh my. Like I'd like, to, I'd like to see some spiked hair, headbands. Upping feathered, the feathered, ante. Something feathered. I know Greg probably has, that's probably his on his ID. <laughs> That photo where you had that, like, kind of flock of seagulls thing going on. What's, you know, the feathered look. Feathered look. <laughs> it wasn't not feathered. Tell me it wasn't feathered. That was feathered at a point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was feathered. <laughs> that was before the, uh, the perm. Too old. Oh, well, that's also 80s. Send that my way, my friend. So send us a pic if you have it at 204-780-6868 and tell us why that particular cheesy 80s pop song is something that helps you reduce your stress. Like, for example, if you, I uh, Part-Time Lover by Stevie Wonder. Great song. Whenever I hear it, it calms me down instantly. I think it's just because it may, reminds me of hearing it on the radio uh, while I'm sitting in the car with my parents. I don't know why that particular song does it, but every time I hear it, it just calms me right down, de-stress. So text us that, and we'll have some fun with that this morning on the start. Also, I know, Loren, well, you're both excited, but Loren, yesterday you indicated in particular how excited you are about the beginning of the Scotties. Yeah, and I think it's just because, first of all, I love watching curling. It's both relaxing and talk about your blood pressure going it also is thrill inducing and it's such a weird range of it's a thing you can put on in the background while you're doing something and then it gets to the seventh or the eighth or the ninth end and you're suddenly sitting on the edge of your couch just loving it plus there are five manitoba teams to follow so there's all sorts of reasons just to get your manitoba flag raised and excited and then i don't know i, I really look forward to some appointment viewing to actually scheduling it sounds crazy to say but this whole year has been about there's not really much on the schedule and now I can look at the calendar and be like, oh, boy, I got lots to do over the next uh, week or so, Greg. Oh, it doesn't sound crazy at all. Let's face it. Uh, during the Scotties, during the Briar, uh, for me, uh, like I said yesterday, I passionately cheer for Manitoba curling teams on the national stage as passionately as I do the Jets and the Blue Bombers. I get worked up. I plan my schedule around these games. I cannot watch them. My mother-in-law, for some reason, can manage to watch it on tape delay on PVR. I have to watch it live. And no matter where I am, I have to find that TV and I have to watch it. And uh, this next 10 days is going to be very exciting. There's a lot of pressure on the five Manitoba teams because, Brett, let's face it, how many people are looking at this and going, if you can't get at least one Manitoba team in the final with five in the field. What are you doing? Good point. Good point. Yeah, they, they, it should be Manitoba domination at the Scotties. So coming up at 835, we're going to talk to Al Cameron from Curling Canada about the Scotties and all the Manitoba action. In a moment, what would gas have to cost to get you to change how much you drive? We're going to have that chat right after we check your forecast in three minutes on The Start.
is Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. This is actually one of my choices for the cheesy 80s pop songs. Uh, it takes me back to Florida when my family went on vacation to <laughs> Orlando. I remember sitting on Cocoa Beach. Um, question of the day at CJOB.com, which is brought to you by, is it Credit Aid today? Credit Aid, helping Manitoban. Sorry, I was completely distracted by so the song. So am I. <laughs> I'm like, stop talking, Brad. I know that's your job, but. <laughs> Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call 204-987-6890. Question of the day is, has the carbon tax changed your behaviors in any way? And 91% say not really. 6% say yes, a lot. And 3% say yes, somewhat. Greg, yesterday I walked in on a conversation you were having with TFJ, Tristan Field-Jones, who's filling in for Julie on the news this week. And uh, the conversation was about what would gas have to cost to get you to change it up? Yeah, I was speaking with Tristan because he's made a decision based on the price of parking, gas, operating his vehicle, etc., uh, to uh, take the bus. At least that's what he was doing pre-pandemic uh, to come downtown versus Polo Park where he drove every day. And some of that is a cost analysis. And I admitted to him there were some Saturday mornings, Loren, that uh, there's the Home Depot at the intersection of Lage and uh, Regent. I might go there, say, and this is pre more pre-pandemic, I go there maybe at 7, 8 o'clock Saturday morning to get something for whatever project I've got going. And then maybe around... 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, Jackie will say, we should go to Urban Barn. Do you want to go to Urban Barn? It's in the same parking lot as Home (laughs) Depot. We drive back there, and then we do our thing, and then we go back home, and then, oh, you know, I forgot to think about supper. We're going to have to go to Sobeys. Sobeys is right there, right across the street from from basically from Lage and Regent on on Reindeers and Lage Modier. So three trips in one day, we don't even think about it because the cost of gas, as expensive as it can be in our minds, and when it goes up 11 cents overnight, it's obviously traumatic. But, you know, we don't really think twice about saving trips. We just sort of get in the car and go where we want to go. And I did the math on the two and a half cent uh, carbon tax right now, and I figure we spend about $3,600 a year on fuel. It translates to $105 over the course of a year. So two bucks a week. It's not changing our habits in any way, shape, or form, if it was intended to do that. Yeah, and I think if that's the argument, that's that's what they're saying, right? We need people to stop consuming more, to stop using gas as much, to think about their what they're putting uh, into their car, into their homes or whatever when it comes to petroleum, when it comes to keeping the lights on, when it comes to your electricity usage, all the rest. That's the goal. I suppose if you sat down and did the math on your gas slash your um, if natural gas, if you're using anything else that you might be saying we need to reduce consumption. I don't know if people are doing it unless they absolutely have to. And for sure, there's a sector of the population that gas prices are already too much and change their behavior without a doubt. But if the goal is to get the rest of society to say, I don't need to be in my car as much, I think there's two things and this is going to take it in a whole other direction one it needs to cost more i i won't be changing my habits that's true and secondly i need to have a better alternative option which is a better transit system agreed i think that if gas like right now given how little i actually have to drive uh, it's not really a thing for me because i take a cab to work in the morning and then uh, i walk home so i i get in my car maybe twice a week but if i was using my car regularly and gas shot up like what's as as high as it's been i was trying to remember what the highest price that we've seen 45 maybe under 150 i 
think. Okay. I don't think I remember paying that a dollar fifty a liter. Yeah, like when I was going to a university, for example, or uh, just starting out working here. Uh, anything above a dollar fifty, like because I lived in Transcona and I had to drive to nine thirty Portage and then eventually to Polo Park, and then I was filling my car up every week, so that would have certainly made me switch up my behaviors as to how much I drive anywhere else. Like I would have tried to plan out, like okay, any errands I need have to be on the way home, so that I could try to accomplish everything in one shot rather than going home and then going back out. So let us know what would the price of gas have to be for you to make you change your behavior. Text us at 204-780-6868. On Wednesday, we talked to Al Anderson every Wednesday morning just after 8.30. And on Wednesday, he told us that the best music... He asked us, what's your favorite decade? What's the best decade? And we ran out, went around the horn, and Greg, I think you said the 80s. I said the 90s. Loren, what was it? Was it the 80s for you? I just said the early 2000s just oh, because yes. of where I was in my life. So, and, and also because I was trying to remember whether the Hanson brothers fit into that era. <laughs> Nobody knows the words. Yeah. Terrible song, but deliciously lovely song at the same time. Oh, yeah. So. That's a great, great tune. But uh, it turns out the 80s, cheesy 80s pop songs are the best, it's the best kind of music to help you reduce your stress. They, they did this survey and they found that people, this study, they showed that people's heart rate went down, their blood pressure went down, and uh, I can dig it, man. So we're getting your text at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Uh, this is Send Me an Angel, by the way. Send me an angel. By real life. So if you That's text Brad. Yes, good memory, Jeff Braun from the bike movie Rad. So if you text us at 204-780-6868, you have a chance to win. But make sure you tell us why. Why is it your favorite? Do you have a story that goes with it? And as Loren suggested, if you have a picture, we've gotten some great pictures this morning. Greg, you pointed out the stubby beer. <laughs> I did. Who's, uh, whose picture was that? We've uh-huh. got more pictures. Don sent a delightful one where he oh. looks like the lead singer from Platinum Blonde. <laughs> and then I think it was Al who said Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Oh, yeah, his Al. Best 80s song. Al and is holding course, the stubby beer bottle. Sorry, Loren. And I think he may have a perm. I think his his uh, partner in the photo might have a feathered perm look going on. I don't know what's happening here, but I love the pictures. So <laughs> you don't need a picture, but man, it might put you over the top. So keep them coming and let's go around the horn here. We've got Jeff Braun who. Tuned in on Rad. Good call, Jeff. That's a terrible movie, by the way, but uh, I loved it. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Forte. Poitras, why don't you get us started? Uh, All right, here we go. A little bit of Bonnie Tyler. (laughs) I need a hero. Shout out to my mom and her meatloaf Bonnie Tyler combo (laughs) CD in the car. (laughs) Uh, Like, just listen to the drums. It's got the synth going. The choir's about to kick in. So bad, it's good. Ah, ah, I need a hero. I'm holding on for a hero till the end of the night. It's gotta be fast and it's gotta be cool and it's gotta be larger than life. Oh, I need a hero. Woo, baby. Yes. Out of boy, Poitras. GMAC. I didn't know Cam had that in him. Wow, that was spectacular, man. 
Okay. All okay. right, chill. <laughs> okay, so uh, mine, listen to these lyrics. There's four quick lines here. I'm on a ride and I want to get off, but they won't slow down the roundabout. I sold the Renoir and TV set. Don't want to be around when this gets out. Ah, yes. What were they singing about? (laughs) (laughs) This music video, too. The digital wave that comes over everyone in the crowd, and then they're magically wet, and everybody is just delirious at Simon Le Bon's gyrations. There's nothing better than a little Duran Duran to get you going in the morning. I think for me, this just when I think of the 80s, this is typically the first song that pops into my head. Is it really? I feel like this is sort of quintessential 1980s music. Duran Duran, The Reflex. Excellent choice. Greg Mackling. Jeff Braun, what about you, sir? Uh, my 80s go-to music for reducing stress and for, you know, when I'm working in the morning, if I need a little pick-me-up, it's always a Huey Lewis and the News. Yeah! You like Huey Lewis and the News? Absolutely. And then, you know, it's because I'm doing the news, right? So it's- <laughs> I, I, I love I love Huey. I love Huey Lewis. Well, and Cam, actually, was, wasn't the name of the album, Jeff, Sports? Yes. That's right. That was one. This one was called uh, Four. Oh, F-O-R-E. yeah. Sports came before that. Yeah, I think sports yeah, was earlier. Really They're really uh, branching off with the naming of the albums there. <laughs> they had an album a few years ago, Honest to God. I think it was called The Weather. <laughs> So Huey Lewis and the news, sports, and the weather. Uh, Jeff Forte, what about you? You got one in the chamber? This song just makes me happy. It's terrible. Oh, yes. Some taco. Yes, the taco version. It is For some reason, it makes me happy. And ever since I was a kid, I could always picture a small dog with a smooshed face, wearing a vest, a top hat, and a monocle, dancing. I don't know why. It just pictured my head. There's no reason. I'll have what he's having. (laughs) Well, GMAC, okay, what years were you going to the Big A? Oh, I started going in 88, 89, yeah. Okay, so would something like Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli have been playing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you had a lot of rock and roll bands because there was always live music at the Big Wankin' A. And uh, (laughs) so you would get the rock and roll and then Nirvana started and Pearl Jam started creeping in a little bit, uh, you know, at a certain time. But oh yeah, you'd get a little Millie Vanilli. Loren, uh, should, do you want to tee this up or should I just fire this? Well, I've got two clips, but we might not have time for both. The second one is actually what I used to listen to on tape as a kid. But this, the first one that just says Loren's pick, is yeah. I, to this day, will crank this in the car if I just need that pick-me-up to get me going. <laughs> White Snake. There's nothing cheesy about White Snake. I know. I knew you were going to say that. I'm drawing the line here. But here's the problem about it. I don't know any other song by them. So by definition for me, it is kind of cheesy because I couldn't tell you anything about this Slide band. Slide in? I, nope. I got nothing. I, got, I don't know. I don't Stop know who there, sings. Cam. I am. I, don't, I am. I, I don't know who the leaders are. I got nothing. Or sorry, the lead singers are. So that's why. David Coverdale. I, 
I will just whatever. I don't. I got nothing. I'm Tony like, Katan on the, uh, on the car. I couldn't even. If they were in videos, my basement right oh, now, they ended up they getting could, married. They could be in my basement right now, and I wouldn't know that it was them <laughs> unless they're singing this song. This is why it's cheesy to me. However, if you just want to go with the second pick, there, this whole tape, I had this memorized. Okay, I know this. You know it. I picked a kind of an obscure one. Well, W-H-A-M. That's oh, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Good. You're gonna Don't do it to you. Right, right. Anything you want to, baby. <laughs> I need to go to a social with Cam. <laughs> that was G-Max singing, if you can believe that. Oh, well done, I was Gregory. actually in tune for once. So, here's what we need from you. At 204-780-6868. We need you to text us your favorite cheesy 80s pop song, but not just what song it is, but why. If you've got a story that goes with it or a particular memory. If you've got a picture, too, that's just a value add. If you have one handy at 204-780-6868. Greg's dug out a couple of beauties from uh, the 1980s. Can we share those in social media, GMAC? I think we may have already shared one of them. I think one for sure in the past has been... Yeah, you're, please, yeah, you're more than welcome to. Okay. <laughs> so kind keep... of has a Patrick Swayze look to him. Should have some of that. Patrick Swayze? Very good. But in the meantime... If that's going to be the popular response, share away. <laughs> <laughs> Rockney Amadeus, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Another suggestion at 204-780-6868 on the cheesy 80s pop songs that you love that reduce your stress. Can't remember who sent this one. We are just getting hammered by texts, and we love that. So keep them coming at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. But in the meantime, for thousands of Manitobans, 12.30 is the time when they stop and pause and check the latest COVID numbers. Yeah, but as we roll back some of the restrictions that really have had many of us so closely watching those numbers, Brett, uh, closely watching them over the past 11 months, we're wondering this morning if you are still paying as much attention as you used to. Are you watching the different case counts, hospitalization numbers, death numbers? Because after all, they determine our future. And as we move ahead and try to live with COVID, what should we be watching for if we want to see Manitoba ease the restrictions even further, Greg? Of course, we are still in level red, Loren. And what will it take to ease into level orange or yellow or, dare we suggest, no color code at all? Cynthia Carr is the founder of Epi Research, joins us now. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. So, Loren mentioned uh, last night, boy, it felt like maybe some of the numbers creeped up yesterday. Did you notice that? Did it set off any alarm bells for you? Well, again, day to day things can change and there can be reasons why that uh, may not mean that there is an increased circulation again of the virus uh, around, but but it might be showing that. So um, for me, I always like to look at sort of seven day trends uh, and even there we're seeing a bit of an increase, um, but definitely I would watch this carefully uh, over the next week just to see if it was a blip or if this is showing kind of a, a pushing back up. And how much do the uh, emerging variants play into this equation? Like, are we testing enough for those? Well, definitely that's a concern. And, and it's 
<clears throat> excuse me, it's very resource intensive, of course, uh, to test for the variants. Uh, and so there's sort of a range across Canada. Uh, prior to um, the, the last few months, about 5% of positive cases across Canada was sort of the goal for uh, uh, looking, taking a second look at. But now it's even up to sort of 15% in some provinces. So, you know, that is... Uh, a lot of sort of, again, extra resources needed. So a lab can say, yes, no, the virus is there. And some can say, yes, no, there seems to be something different uh, in the DNA, but it then has to go to a very specialized lab with very specialized staff and equipment to actually do that genomic sequencing. Uh, so that's why there's a delay, which um, of course is worrisome with such an infectious uh, virus. But um, if that's just the reality, it takes time. Uh, and resources to be able to do this and so there's just sort of a you know a maximum that it can really be scaled up when we look at this cynthia and we've so often talked about what other jurisdictions are doing because it has come to us in this wave right where it moved from china and then through europe and then into canada mm -hmm. and so as we look to other jurisdictions what should we be watching for from them in terms of maybe when it comes to how their case counts are going or when it comes to the variants what's next as we try to prep for and i don't want to say steal ourselves but you know sometimes it feels like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop on this because it's been going on for so long well, definitely, we, we can always learn from other jurisdictions, no matter how different they are. Uh, not every um, experience will apply, but, um, you know, just even learning from the United Kingdom how um, how this was found, how scientists were alerted to what was going on in South Africa showed the initiative to start looking and it was found there so that's just an example of you know um, leveraging resources when uh, something unusual is going on around the world not to just think you know that's a different country it's not happening here but actually to say wait a second if that's happening in a different country it certainly could be happening here let's get vigilant quickly and that is exactly how that happened in the united kingdom um, and then again looking at are there differences in risk groups and clusters that we can learn from uh, and were there um, you know, uh, mitigations that seem to work. So again, look at how other countries react, be on alert to risks and what is working and what were some of the, the, the uh, gaps that let the virus spread. You mentioned high risk groups in, in part of your answer there, Cynthia. And of course, Indigenous Manitobans really feeling the brunt of COVID-19 right now. As you know, I think a lot of us do. We listen for the Winnipeg numbers. If you li live in Winnipeg and you go, boy, that's a, that's a pretty good number, 43 or wherever the number might be. Uh, but then you, you look at northern Manitoba, they're really uh, feeling it right now. And definitely, you can see that, um, you know, as with um, the rest of Manitoba for, a, uh, you know, a little bit of time uh, with everybody working together, the northern Manitoba uh, numbers were coming down too. Uh, there was a spike uh, about a month ago that seemed to come down, but certainly in the last uh, week and two, uh, we see not just sort of a gradual incline, but a spike in cases. Now I know those numbers are small, so the rates change quickly, um, but it's an absolute real change. Um, and you combine that with the um, uh, real challenges in our uh, Northern First Nations isolated communities uh, with uh, inadequacy in housing and infrastructure in terms of giving people space uh, to distance and, um, you know, options of, of where to go, it makes it much more challenging uh, for people uh, to put them in, in themselves in just sort of those basic social distancing situations that we might take for granted now here. 
You mentioned off the top, Cynthia, that you're looking at that seven-day trend. So it's been seven days since we eased the restrictions in the public health orders, again, still in level red. For you, when it comes to looking at the numbers in those seven-day trends, is it all of them? You know, in the beginning, we said we talked about case counts and positivity and then hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. What's key for you right now to keep an eye on as we look towards a possible easing in a week's time? Well, definitely just you want to see that kind of that community spread on just a like kind of a trustworthy decline. It seems quite steady. We're at uh, an average of seven new cases uh, per 100,000 residents a day in Manitoba, which is, you know, a fifth at least of, of where we were in November. So that's really good. But certainly we're always looking at hospitalizations and deaths. We know that uh, the trend has been that one in six cases end up in the hospital and 15% of those end up in ICU. And again, don't forget the median length of stay is 11 days. It's a very lengthy stay for many people uh, showing how severe this illness is. So certainly we want to watch that. And even with uh, concerns around vaccine efficacy, the main thing we're watching is but is it still uh, working and preventing the worst case scenarios which is hospitalizations and deaths so i'm certainly watching that cynthia carr founder of epi research joining us live on 680 cjob cynthia thank you very much for this you're very welcome have a good day mackling mcgarry and mcnab this is a great 80s song. Jeff Forte, who suggested this one? This is from Dennis, who actually sent us a great picture. I wish I looked that good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, more in start, platinum blondes, it doesn't really matter, is my pick. While playing the short drum solo, the lights go out and the drummer sticks light up. It was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in concert. As you can tell by my pick, they might have been my inspiration for my hair. <laughs> Hope you have a good chuckle. Have a great weekend. Awesome picture. Keep those texts coming. 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And GMAC, what are we doing in our uh, next segment coming up at 745? We're going to learn about a new relationship between North Forge and the University of Winnipeg. It's aimed at uh, bringing some incredible people together, those with ideas to start new businesses and education. Sometimes they don't always mesh. We'll find out how they're getting these uh, groups of people together. We're also getting lots of reports, by the way, this morning on fog on the highways. Michaela saying thick fog on Highway 202 coming into the city. We also had reports about fog on uh, Highway 59. That's from Monique uh, on the, uh, from East Selkirk going south towards Winnipeg. And a reminder, drivers, please put on your lights. So watch out for fog if you're heading out onto the highways. But right now, instead of playing the usual garbage couch potatoes music that Fortier, in spite of the fact of being a talented musician, he just can't seem to get it together for this segment, I want to play this music. (laughs) To herald the assemblage of the couch potatoes, Jeff Braun joining us here, because this week we had three big movie trailers that popped up. One of them was Cruella, the new live-action adaptation of... uh, Cruella DeVille from Disney. Emma Stone going to play Cruella. So that's kind of neat. There was also Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is going to be a four-hour movie, by the way. Bron, remember they were talking about cutting it up into four parts, like four yeah. miniseries? Right. So it's just going to be a four-hour movie that debuts on March 18th on Crave. What do you think of that, four hours? That seems awful long. I, I would like to rewatch the original before watching that to compare and contrast, but... Now we're into six and a half hours worth of stuff, so I don't think that's going to happen. 
<laughs> and then the third one that came out yesterday, the Red Band trailer for the new movie adaptation of Mortal Kombat. I love how they kind of harken back to that music that I just played. Now, the trailer, not much dialogue. Oh, he just, Shang Tsung just said finish them. I just wanted to quickly mention this trailer because Mortal Kombat, the super popular video game franchise that debuted in the early to mid-1990s, super controversial because of its violence. Because unlike other fighting games, you actually kill your opponent. At the end. Greg, did you ever play Mortal Kombat? Were you into video games by that point? I was out of video games already by that point. I'd been in and out. So, no, Mortal Kombat was not on my roster of favorites. Loren, what about you? Nada. No Mortal Kombat for you? I don't think so, but I don't know. I find my brain right now. It can it has zero recall of what I did just six minutes ago. So <laughs> was it on my radar? Maybe, and but I don't think so. Jeff Braun, you? Did you ever play Mortal oh, Kombat? Oh, yeah. I, th- I threw a lot of quarters into the Mortal Kombat machine at the Altona Arcade when I was uh, 10, 12, 13 years old for sure. That and Street Fighter and Double Dragon. Okay. Yeah, so the Mortal Kombat video game franchise has been insanely popular for decades now, but it was very controversial. The movie adaptation in the 90s, it's a beloved cult classic. It's a terrible film, but one of the things that was that sucked about it was it was PG, so they, they toned down the violence. Well, this is going to be an R-rated film, and watching the trailer, it is brutally violent, so I think that's going to appease fans of the game. This isn't going for any Oscars. That debuts, by the way, in (laughs) April in theaters and on HBO Max, so who knows what's going to happen in Canada. Hopefully, maybe movie theaters by then, but if not, you should be able to get that on demand at home. Uh, So you'll be able to find that uh, on YouTube. But, okay, we got to talk about this, because, Loren, you pointed this out, and, Greg, I know you're watching it this morning. Titanic... When they released their DVD in 2005, they included an alternate ending, and someone has reposted it on Twitter, and it's gone viral all over again. <laughs> You're watching it. Can you give the gist of what you saw? Well, the gist is that the, uh, I don't want to call her the old lady, because I don't know her name. I'm going to have Rose? to call her that. Okay, Rose, Rose yeah. yes. <laughs> they called her an old lady on Seinfeld. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, George sorry, guys. That old I, lady, she's just a liar, right? I'm so bad with movie titles and actors and their names. Anyway, so Rose, in her advanced ages, are on the boat, and Bill Paxton, who's who's now, I just realized, uh, passed away, I think, four years ago. Uh, he's looking, and, and she's sort of decided that she's going to throw this the 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 necklace over the overboard and Paxton says can I just hold it just for a second and then she throw he, he holds it gives it back to her and then she throws it over her shoulder and then what follows is absolutely ridiculous jeez no that really sucks lady <laughs> what is that Loren what was your reaction when you watched oh this oh my god I have to honestly say it this is I mean, no disrespect to Rose, or I think it was Gloria Stewart, uh, who's the character, and may she rest in peace. She had a great career. That that role period was not one of them, I don't think. The, when they went back in time, that was wonderful. But the stuff that was supposed to be present day with them on the ship looking for this diamond, I didn't like any of it. And I, if this had been the ending, I think I would have got up and walked out of that film. because Too late. Not, six hours had already well, passed. Yeah, not, yeah, it's not the only end of the movie it, anyways. Everybody well, walked out. Well, I would have booed then. Whatever. It, because not only did she toss it, 
it, which she did in the original. But then it followed this lie, this speech about you're too much focused on the search and not in the present. Live for the moment. Like if she had said carpe diem, I would have thrown up in my mouth. That's where I thought that was going. It was really no. I was I was a I was so appalled by the alternate ending that I watched Wednesday night that I failed to even tell you guys about it because I tried to just erase it from my memory. How did Awful. James Cameron allow this to be no. written? How did they even film it? Like, never that really mind, sucks, write it. lady. Live in the moment. Who uh. wrote that? And then they took the time to film it and print it and then to put it out. Put on the DVD. It's a travesty. It is a travesty. You know, I, I love Titanic right up until that moment. Braun, so. is it on your Blu-ray? I don't. I suspect that it is, but I don't think I've seen it on there anywhere. And at least now, people can argue about this on Titanic instead of whether or not there was room on the floating door for Leo or not. Which <laughs> there was room for him on there, but he would have his weight would have capsized it. So that's my that's my answer to that. No, the the Blu-ray does have an interesting um, feature. It's James Cameron and some scientists talking about. They've got new information, new data, new models or whatever. And he's come to the conclusion that uh, his portrayal of the boat sinking at the end of the movie is actually not quite correct, that the angles are kind of off or whatever. And one of the scientists says to him, he's like, well, are you going to reshoot it? And he sort of like has a grin and then he's like, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to tinker with it. Because once you start, where do you stop? And I, I, my, I, like, my breath was caught in my throat waiting for him to give his answer to that because I was terrified that he was going to be like yeah I'm going to remake Titanic because he seems like the kind of guy that would do something like that yeah the, 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 that movie was way over budget and it, I think it went long in its production I'm sure he does not want to go back to that well and he went at the time he went with the information they had and he did I think he yeah. did a pretty good job with it so uh, Couch Potatoes podcast by the way is now just now available I just uploaded I realized I forgot to do it yesterday sorry about that Jeff so that is now up we went we've been we talk about all the movies that we've been re-watching over the last couple of weeks and the Couch Potatoes, of course, is on uh, Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6, right here on 680 CJOB. But well, we start this half hour with the fact that yesterday morning we played this piece of audio from the 2020 Scotty's Tournament of Hearts for the curler who made this shot. They need the four, now they go on it. They need that four foot. They need the four. You got a second chance. Make the most of it. Canada, say hello to your new champions from Manitoba. Man, and if hearing that highlight gets you emotional, you are not alone. We said yesterday it made us an emotional. And then as we played it for the defending Scotties champion, Carrie Anderson, we asked her how it felt to hear that one year later. Oh, my God, that brings me back. I'm actually bawling. Yeah, I'm just cheering up here and just hearing that is uh, so amazing. It, uh, it was such a special moment. So we are, of course, looking to plenty of special moments like that, Greg, over the next 10 days as the Scotties Tournament of Hearts 2021 gets underway today. Yeah, there will be no shortage of excuses for Manitoba curling fans to tune in to this year's tournament. Al Cameron is Director of Communications and Media Relations for Curling Canada. He joins us from Calgary. Good morning, Al. How are you, everybody? We're doing A-OK. You had to wonder if we were ever going to get to this point on the verge of opening this cherished sporting event. Fair to say? Extremely fair. I mean, uh, 
I was reflecting yesterday when I saw curlers on the ice. The last time I'd actually seen live curlers on the ice was the uh, Tim Hortons Briar final in Kingston. And uh, three days later, I was on a plane to Prince George uh, for the World Women's Championship. And uh, we all know what happened there. And it's been, you know, 11 months of nail-biting, finger-crossing. But I got to say, a lot of hard work behind the scenes. Uh, Curling Canada started last May trying to make this happen and uh, working with Alberta Health, working with the federal government and uh, developing a set of protocols that's going to keep all of the athletes here in Calgary safe as well as the host community. So uh, I can tell you that as much as the players are looking forward to uh, uh, 7.30 tonight uh, Central Time, uh, (laughs) we at Curling Canada can't wait either. Well, I think, you know, when we, we talked about this coming up, I, I can't stress enough how much curling has been missed, not just watching it on TV, Al, but, you know, in small, I live in a small town for communities like mine, a trip to the curling club is part of your, your, not daily, but weekly or weekend event. And so it's very much part of the fabric of a Canadian winter and it's, it's truly been missing. So even though fans can't come, what's the buzz there right now in terms of just how excited the general public might be to see some of this in action live this week? You know, as as a as a national sport organization, we tend to get a lot of um, oh, let's say barbs, for lack of a for lack of a better term, because you know we're a target. We don't do this right. We don't do that right. But I can tell you, it's about ninety nine point nine percent positive. People are so excited about the chance to watch Canada's best uh, female curlers on the ice in what really is the world's most famous women's national curling championship. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to see it going. And uh, people are, are, are really jacked. <laughs> they're, so, they're excited. And the athletes in the building, I mean, there's just such a buzz out there right now. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting over there for the last batch of practices because uh, you can't wipe the smiles off the faces. At least I'm assuming they're smiles because they're all wearing masks, right? But, so we've got five Manitoba teams in the tournament, which is great for Manitoban curling fans. Uh, can you walk us through the format as to how this might be different with five Manitoba teams being in the mix? Well, the reason we went... So traditionally, of course, we have a 16-team field, right? 14 uh, champions from our member associations, which are the uh, provinces and territories in northern Ontario, plus Team Canada, plus a single wildcard team. Uh, this year, because so many teams couldn't actually compete for the right to compl- play in the Scotties because all the provinces and territories were canceling the championships, we, we just thought, you know what, we need to get more teams the opportunity to compete for a national championship. So we added two wildcard teams. And as it happened, uh, the, the two wildcard teams, which are based purely on math, the standings in the Canadian uh, team ranking system and 2019-20 season, both of them, all three wildcard teams, of course, are from Manitoba. And uh, you add the Manitoba champion, uh, which was last year's runner-up, uh, Jennifer Jones. And you add Team Canada, which was last year's Manitoba champion as well, Kerry Anderson. Uh, you, you get five Manitoba teams split into that 18-team field. So, yeah, a lot of uh, cheering angles uh, if you're a Manitoba curling fan. I mentioned to Brett, uh, Al, earlier this morning and to Loren, the fact that, boy, oh, boy, there's going to be some pressure on those five teams because if you've got a one-in-four, better than a one-in-four chance of, of having a Manitoba team in the final, there's going to be some pressure there uh, to make it. Tell us about the facility that you're playing in in Calgary. It's it's not the Saddle Dome, but uh, from the pictures I've seen, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it is a beautiful facility. The Mark and McPhail Centre at Winsport, uh, it's actually the headquarters of Hockey Canada. Uh, that's their home arena, their official home arena. It seats about uh, 3,500. We've been in there before. 
we hosted uh, the Continental Cup of Curling there in 2015. So there are uh, there's a handful of athletes who've been in there before. But what made it so uh, important to us as a as a host facility for something like this was, I mean, it's modern as heck. You, you can see that it's it's beautiful, but it's an international ice surface too. So it's got 100 feet of width as opposed to the standard 85. Uh, in most North American arenas. So that obviously leads to a little more spacing out between the sheets, which uh, Alberta Health, uh, in terms of uh, approving our protocols, really approved of. So that was a big factor in using that arena. Plus the hotel is, is you know, a very, very short distance away. Uh, there's lots of room backstage and for people to move around and not to be close to each other. So there were a lot of pluses with that facility. You know, uh, Al, I think that as a Manitoban, and I don't want to, I almost feel like I'm going to jinx us, but when we watch stuff like this, there's always the expectation that Manitoba is going to do well at this. That who is Anderson the favorite going in, or is it the Jones Rink looking for their seventh title? I mean, or is it all just sort of an equal playing field right now? I'm going to say yes to all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, Carrie Anderson's the champion, and uh, she's the champion until someone beats her, right? So uh, that was no fluke last year. That was the best team in the country, and they deserved everything about it. Uh, Jennifer Jones, I mean, uh, I was talking to her the other day. She is truly excited about the way this team is feeling and, and, and talking amongst one another. Um, so, And, of course, she can make history with her seventh Scotties title, right? Uh, she's tied with uh, Jilly Officer and uh, Colleen Jones, so... Uh, history is on the line for, for Jennifer Jones. But uh, listen, Rachel Holman, uh, that's all you need to say. Rachel Holman, she's really, really good, and uh, that team has been working well together. You know, I, I also point to some of the uh, the Atlantic Canada teams. Uh, their, their curling facilities stayed open a lot longer. So they've had a chance to practice where some of the uh, Western teams haven't. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those teams like New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Suzanne Burt, uh, if she breaks out of the gate fast. Uh, I got to say, though, the game that really intrigued me is right off the bat tonight. It's going to be nationally televised on TSN. You've got uh, the two Canadian champions, Kerry Anderson, uh, taking on the Mackenzie Zacharias out of Altona, the reigning world junior and Canadian junior champion. What a great opportunity for Team Zacharias right out of the gate, uh, their first trip to the Scotties, and they take on Team Anderson on national television. Uh, I'll be really excited to see how that game plays out. We've got a Jets game at 9 o'clock and curling starting at 7. It's going to be a long I night heard curling. in front of the TV for me <laughs> tonight. Uh, our house will be watching, and uh, we look forward to the next 10 days. Al, maybe we can catch up again uh, later on in the week. Best of luck in uh, putting on this uh, extraordinary event in uh, extraordinary times i really appreciate that i hope you guys enjoy it mackling mcgarry and mcnab this particular cheesy 80s pop song requested by the one the only gabrielle marchand host of global news morning our weekly gab with gabby and gabby would you care to identify this song once upon a time Long before he did other things, Eddie Murphy had a music career. I didn't know that actually until recently. That's I, I came upon the song recently. It was later in life. And it goes, my girl likes to party all the time, party all the time. 
Coincidentally, I also like to party all the time, so I strongly identify with the song, and it gets me pumped up. <laughs> we had a few people text us about that as well. So thanks for all your texts, by the way. We'll give away that $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza in our next segment. We've had some great stories painting some colorful pictures to match the colors of the 80s. So that's the cheesy uh, 80s pop song. I want to know from Loren, what were your 80s habits? I'm talking style. Did you have like a big crimped ponytail? Did you do blue eyeshadow? Oh, definitely did blue eyeshadow and green eyeshadow. And then there was also that era where it was pink and blue. Ooh. It, Ooh. Where it was too long. Like you, you do blue and then pink on the upper lid or vice versa. Didn't look good on anyone, let alone a redhead <laughs> with red hair. You know, obviously red hair and pasty skin. But I... I I dabbled with it. Honestly, sorry, I'm distracted. I have a dog who's figured out how to open the gate at the top of the stairs, and I cannot figure out how. I'm sorry. He just wandered downstairs right now. I'm at a loss. I need a puppy trainer. He's got beautiful eyes, though. He would look good with blue you know, eyeshadow. Oh, you're He's saying hey. Hi, Moose. You know, in the words of Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents, uh, Moose lacks the uh, strength and opposable thumbs to uh, work oh that gate. He, he's a genius. This is how I'm selling it. He's a genius dog. I'm going to go take care of this, though. You guys continue on. Also, one more thing at Gabby. I have poker straight hair, so I tried the banana clip. I tried the crimp hair. Nothing worked. And then in grade seven... I begged my mom for a spiral perm. So this would be putting us in the early ah. 90s now. But I begged for it. And she said, are you sure? You have very thick hair. I do not. I'm just I throwing this out there. I do not think this is a great idea. And what emerged out of the salon was not only me crying because it was so horrendous. It was like in the shape of a giant triangle because my hair was so thick. The perm just made it. Huge, like huge. And then the curl didn't go away for a good three and a half years. It was like it lingered, like it just slowly faded out. And there was nothing I can do about it. And bless my mom, she did not say I told you so, but I remember bawling in the back of a station wagon like nobody's business. Was what kind happy. of a, what was the, the style the called? Spiral, the spiral perm. Just I like want to see twisted. photo evidence, I'm just saying. Oh, I'll get you some. I'm sure I've got it somewhere. It was... um can I say I did not have a boyfriend that year <laughs> oh that's dynamite oh. Loren that's amazing <laughs> okay go play with Moose I'm, I, I gotta figure that out I'll talk to you guys in five okay uh, we'll also have to ask her there, yesterday was a day of uh, some significance I would think too but <laughs> sorry I'm listening to her let's, let's just eavesdrop for a second oh, okay alright snoring stories Gabby I understand you got a good one yeah, you know what? I want to preface this by saying my parents are wonderful, delightful human beings. I appreciate them. They've done so much for me in my life, including moving me multiple times. I've moved all over. And for one of my moves, they came up. They had a hotel room, uh, and I had no place to stay for an evening. So I slept there, but I was going to work on a morning show, and so I had to be up at 3 a.m. My parents, I, I can only describe it as Two elephants with deviated septums. I've never heard snoring like that before in my life. I didn't even know it was humanly possible to snore that loud. And then it's almost like they're in a competition. Like one will start really snoring and then the other will start snoring. And when it's two people, I was in the same room. I'm in this bed sort of beside them and in a separate bed, just to be clear. <laughs> um, but I mean, you can't flip one over. Like, what are you going to do? They're both snoring. It was... I think I slept half an hour and then I went to work. I've never been more tired in my life. And they're so sweet, but I just don't know how either of them gets any sleep. 
GMAC, you got any uh, solutions to that when you no? No, look, this is this is coming from a guy who uh, went to see. I went with uh, five of my buddies to see Van Halen in Vancouver back in the late uh, '90s, and we stayed in a loft style apartment. It was my buddy's brother's place. Anyway, there were seven of us sleeping in this place, and nobody got a shred of sleep, all because of me. So, oh wow, I just simply don't know what to say in defense of this. It, you feel terrible being on the other side of keeping people awake uh, for an entire night because you're sawing wood. It's yeah. it's you know it, it's an awful feeling. You know you're doing it, but uh, you just you just can't prevent it. Yeah, I I can relate to that too because with the annual golf tournament, the Laker Classic, uh, we it used to like we used to go to the Interlake. My buddy's got a cabin in Winnipeg Beach. His family cabin is on Pine in Winnipeg Beach, and uh, there'd be like twelve of us crammed into this cabin. So there'd be two guys sharing the pullout on a couch, which is basically what the equivalent of a double, I think. So that was awful. There'd be guys sleeping on the floor. Uh, some guys might pass out in the bathtub. I don't know. But if one guy was snoring, then no one was getting any sleep. And there was one guy, uh, Gabby, who he brought earplugs the first year that he came. What a kind man. Yeah, he brought earplugs for everybody and said, you're going to need these. I promise you. And uh, he was right. It was was like a rusty chainsaw cutting through a tin shed. There was another guy there that year, though, who it turned out none of us ended up liking because he puked on the deck and didn't take any responsibility for it. So we were all mad at him. So I thought he was snoring. And like I couldn't it's the sleep. puker. It's yeah. the puker for sure. I, but I didn't have my glasses on, and I was drunk. I was trying to get to sleep. So I went out, and I, I like, I was poking him and kind of kicking at him. And then I finally just took my pillow and said, I don't like this guy, so I'm just going to wake him up this way. And I just started hammering on him with my pillow. <laughs> and finally he wakes up, and he says, what the hell are you doing, Brad? I'm sorry. And it was the guy who brought the earplugs. It was Jason. Aww. I felt so bad. I still feel bad. I apologize to him every year. It's been over a decade. But I still feel bad. You about woke that. up the wrong guy. I did. Cheat whiz. I did. And then Terrible. he probably couldn't fall back to sleep. He had to puke again or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Greg, I told Brett that sometimes. I mean, I also am guilty of snoring, especially if I'm sick. And my sister told me that I, I it doesn't help that I lay on my back and I cross my arms <laughs> like, like I'm laying this, in a coffin. Like <laughs> I can picture you doing that. I, yes. I lay like I'm in a coffin and then I breathe. I mean, I don't know if I want to do dem- a demonstration, but it's kind of like. <gasps> <laughs> that just you sound like a ghost. <gasps> <laughs> like it's really creepy. At least you're still breathing. <laughs> the, the part of my problem is I stop breathing. You know, I'll confess something to you here. Yes. Um, so I went for a sleep study a bunch of years ago, and I have the pure the pure sleep apnea. But if I slip sleep on my side, apparently I'm okay. And there's this dinosaur back sort of thing that you can buy. It's a belt, and it's got inflatable bottles, five of them. What? Yes, and if you sleep with it. Around your chest, you will not roll over on your back. It is the most awkward, non-gratifying, <laughs> non-complimentary thing on the planet. I wore it three nights and I said, really? I would just really much rather just keep everybody awake. They marketed it as the marriage saver. It's the marriage saver. It is not the marriage saver. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand, Weekly Gab with Gabby. She is the host of Global News Morning, 6 until 9, weekdays on global television. Gabby, pleasure as always. Happy Friday, everyone. Have well, a safe and happy weekend. Did you know that yesterday was National Wine Day? Oh, I celebrate that day every day.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. What song are you playing here, 14? Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Oh, okay. Well, that's perfect because that's actually one of our runner-ups. Oh, okay. Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. $20 worth. We've been asking you all morning what cheesy 80s pop song makes you happy, reduces your stress. Hal Anderson told us on Wednesday that 80s cheesy pop songs are the best kind of music to help you reduce your stress. Reduce your heart rate, lower your blood pressure, just make you feel better. And indeed, it's worked all morning because every single song that Jeff Forte has fired off and every song you have suggested has put big smiles on all of our faces. Cam Poitras was singing. He was singing in the sports booth this morning and he was doing a marvelous job singing to Bonnie Tyler. You can find that in the audio vault at cjob.com. He did that at 6.49 this morning. But Greg, this first one here, with the Frankie Goes to Hollywood, <laughs> uh, pulled it specifically for you because it involves Chi-Chi's. Yep. You- I bet you I sang a birthday song to this individual. Here it is. I have the perfect story that ties everything together. It was my 18th birthday. My friends took me to Chi-Chi's for supper that night and then on to the newly opened Club Soda. I'm guessing they might have gone to the Chi-Chi's at Region and Lage. I met my future husband that night for years. We would go to Scandals and Club Soda. And if there's any song that brings it all back, 1985, is Frankie Goes to Hollywood. P.S. We're still married today. Thanks for sharing that with us, but it was good. Just not good enough for the win today. Indeed. Some Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax. But this next one, Loren, just... <laughs> the antithesis it, of that story? It, paint, it, it painted is. such a picture. Well, it's the opposite. You have the love story of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, although I'm just trying to figure out uh, <laughs> the lyrics there in terms of what drew them together. But uh, the winner... <laughs> Don't do this, that. <laughs> get quite dirty, depending on where your mind goes. Um, the winner we chose because I just love the picture that they painted. They said the song that they love to listen to from the 80s is Don't Be Cruel by Cheap Trick. They write, I was 15 years old and I just got dumped by my first girlfriend for being a lousy kisser. I had one cassette tape, a little gray ghetto blaster, and I would crank that Cheap Trick cassette. Well, I did wait because I thought I was heartbroken. And man, the picture of this person just pumping some iron, just heart heartbroken, thinking about how they can work on their kissing skills. I'm sorry, that's our winner, Brett. Congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing that story. <laughs> Anybody who has gone through heartbreak can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Just pumping those weights. Oh, I'll, I'll show her. You'll want me back after this, <laughs> Santa 10. <laughs> Santa Lucia Pizza, $20 gift certificate is yours. We don't want to be cruel on this Friday. This is my cheesy 80s pop song. Billy Ocean, a lover boy. I adore this song. Anytime I need to pick me up, this one has me strutting down the street. Loren McNabb. So keep. thank you, everyone, who texted us, by the way, your favorite cheesy 80s pop songs uh, for that Santa Lucia pizza gift card that we had up for grabs just after 920 Uh, In a moment, we do want to continue our conversation on Black History Month, but Loren, I understand uh, you have something you want to bring to the fore here. 
Yeah, and I'm just dropping this audio uh, now into the top of our production uh, queue there, Brett, because we just, uh, our reporter Brittany Greenslade just got off the phone with Fardeen Zarif. He's one of the friends of the three U of University of Manitoba students who lost their life in that car crash on Highway 7 early yesterday morning. Uh, he explained to Brittany that these three young men, they came to Canada 2016, 2017. They were studying at the U of M, working hard to make a life here. Thousands of kilometers from home uh, and they had gone out to see the northern lights had traveled up highway 7 he believes they might have been trying to go as far as hecla but it was kind of an overcast night so they didn't see the northern lights and they came home uh, and as they were on their way home there was a couple of cars that were part of this convoy uh, one of them was in an accident and that took the lives of these three young men who were uh, 23 years old here's fardine on just what the loss means to this community it is. Um, it's a big community. We have students from U of M, U of W, um, RRC, MIT, DN. It's like, you know how hard it is, especially in a city like Manitoba, which is like 10,000 kilometers away from our towns. And it's like, we are each other's families. We are each other's father, sister, like everything. We're there for each other. We're always there. Like, even in this crisis, and apologies, I had to cut that audio short there. He was just saying, even in this crisis, you know, they've been banding together and, and members of the Bangladeshi Manitoba community are in mourning. The U of Man of University of Manitoba community are, of course, in mourning. And then the family of these three young men. We're going to work to bring you more details on just who they were, what this trip was about and what happens next for them. In the meantime, Fardine says the three men actually uh, lived with a fourth who didn't go on this trip uh, Wednesday night. And, and of course, understandably, he's devastated right now. And so he's staying with Fardine. Again, that was uh, Fardine Zarif uh, speaking about the loss of these three young men. And we'll bring more throughout the day, Brett. Yesterday, we learned from Ipsos that many Canadians believe schools could do a better job at teaching black history. Well, it turns out our friends at Zwicke have been highlighting for Black History Month black leaders in our community on their social media. And one of them, turns out, is an educator. So Michelle Jean-Paul is the principal of Ecole Templeton in Amber Trails, Seven Oaks School Division. That's on Templeton Avenue just off Pipeline Road. It's a brand new school, uh, which is why I had to look it up. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Hello there. Hi, thank you for having me. I would have preferred uh, Lionel Richie to Billy Ocean, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I, we played Dancing on the Ceiling yesterday. That uh, is my song. That's the one? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you, Michelle. I actually have that on a, on a playlist. I think the name of my playlist is Feel, Go- Feel Good Happy Times. And, uh, <laughs> and that Very song is, is on there. Yeah, it's, uh, if, you're, if you're down, put on some Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling. That's a great tune. Well done. Good choice, Michelle. <laughs> so what's your take on this finding by Ipsos? Yeah, you know, for me, it's not surprising at all. Um, I think when we think about how our curriculum has been written in our school system, how our school system has been created. It's been on dominant cultural perspectives, which is not the black perspective. Um, And so the fact that that's absent largely from what's happening in Canadian schools, um, I think is just par for the course. I think the important thing is that we're now paying attention to that fact. I'm curious, you know, when you were going, growing up, Michelle, what you saw in this curriculum at all. And I asked this question a few weeks ago to uh, one of our local authors about Indigenous history and, the, and the, what was so lacking, at least when I was growing up, in terms of understanding so many things about our history. Uh, I'm curious what you saw, or if anything at all, when it came to Black history in the school when you were a kid and how that might compare to even what you see now. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, going to school in the 80s and the 90s, it wasn't something that was present. I remember, I believe I was in grade four at the time, and we had one of our massive readers, um, you know, and I remember coming across a poem by Langston Hughes, and I still to this day remember that poem off by heart because I was so struck by the fact that there was a black author, you know, someone who looked like me being highlighted in one of the books. And that's probably the only time that I can recall um, in my in my career as a student um, being exposed in that way. And that was, again, something that happened by chance as I was flipping through and kind of looking for looking for something. And so, um, you know, it's it's with quite rarity. I didn't have any black teachers who would have been bringing that in as their personal experience and perspective. Um, so for me, it was definitely something that was lacking um, in both the formal curriculum and in the informal curriculum as a student. Just wondering, what was it like for you as a student growing up? And I, I, I realized my experience on this would be different. I went to a small French immersion school in Transcona. We had, I think, three black students in the entire school. Um, and I just always wondered, you know, if they felt isolated. Uh, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, I would say throughout most of my schooling career, I'm fortunate to come from, you know, a family. There are five of us kids, so there was always at least, you know, a couple of other black kids and being my siblings. Um, but, you know, um, growing up, it was often that we were the only in our class, if not some of the only in our school. Um, and that definitely makes an impact. Um, you know, I think I'm someone who's fortunate to have a great family unit for support, but there were absolutely um, opportunities um, or occasions where I felt very isolated in that experience. And I think, you know, part of it is not having people who understand um, some of the things that you're living. I think of the first time a racial slur was used against me in school. Um, you know, I would have been in grade five at the time. And I distinctly remember that entire situation. And I, I remember feeling like I couldn't discuss it, um, you know, with my peers because they wouldn't get it because, you know, that word didn't have the same power um, when they heard it as opposed to when I heard it. Which is why it's so important now to, to keep that going, because you can imagine, I guess, as an educator, Michelle, if someone is experiencing that now, if they, if they, if they feel that or if they have some things that are said to them, you, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm guessing you want to create an environment to which they can come out and talk about it, but not just the negative, the positive, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, that's the importance of normalizing conversations about race uh, in schools, about difference in schools, um, because I think oftentimes we fear saying the wrong thing. And so we don't say anything at all. Um, and I think of many experiences I had as, as an educator. And I think of, um, you know, I remember being a student teacher and there being, you know, something that came up that was race related and they called on me to solve this. I'm thinking, I'm just a kid. Like, I'm, I'm still learning how to be a teacher. Um, but then I also think of incidents of racism that, that surfaced and where colleagues of mine stepped in and said, no, you know, they, people need to understand that it's not just Michelle as the black educator that cares about racism, but that we all do. And so I think, again, normalizing those conversations, uh, recognizing that we have work to do um, and, and kind of being explicit in that um, is important in terms of moving forward. Our guest is Michelle Jean-Paul. She is the principal of a Cole Templeton in Amber Trails. Has your school done anything specific for Black History Month? Yeah, you know what? Our school tries to take an approach where we're integrating things throughout what we're doing. Um, I think oftentimes when you're starting this kind of equity work, it's easy to take the standalone approach. Um, and I think we've done that in terms of a lot of different things. Um, but I think the importance is when we normalize 
um, you know, the presence of, of black content or other, you know, content from other racialized or minoritized groups. And so we've done some stuff over the announcements, you know, we've integrated into I Love to Read. Um, but we also have classroom teachers who are just integrating, you know, stories about black characters throughout the school year, um, you know, personalities from from history that happen to be black, uh, books in our library that represent uh, the community. Um, and so I think, again, it's important to, to kind of highlight, and I think Black History Month is important because as that survey indicated, there isn't enough happening in school, so we need to kind of put the emphasis on it until um, it becomes kind of commonplace. So one of the things that I often say, you know, with, with, with the staff that I work with, or just kind of in general, until we can no longer count the number of days or the number of ways within a school year that we're highlighting uh, the non-dominant, you know, cultures and ideologies, then we're not doing enough. So always striving to do more. So in, in that in that effort to do more, Michelle, you've been featured by Zui K this month as a black leader in the community. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? What makes you feel like, um, what makes you think as a leader that you, what the next role might be? Because I think it's so important to highlight so many great people in this community, but then it also puts a, a, a title on your shoulders uh, to take things forward, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely humbling because um, I, I don't think I would identify myself in that way. I'm, I'm someone who's passionate about the community and trying to do, you know, what I can in my little corner of the world to make it a better place, uh, you know, which sounds a little bit like a Miss America response. But um, I think for me in terms of steps forward, I mean, um, I'm just going to keep doing the work that I've, that I've been doing and that I'm committed to doing as an educator and as a community member. Uh, back in 2009, I founded the Educators of Color Network. Um, and again, that wasn't like for me, that wasn't any anything new. It's building on the legacy of great work that's been happening in this city and in this province for generations. Um, you know, so for me, the Educators of Color Network is something that built out of the great work of the Black Educators Association of Manitoba and the Manitoba Association for Multicultural Education um, and some of the foundational um, opportunities that I had as a, as a budding educator to work with some fantastic educators and leaders in this community um, that helped me recognize my responsibility in, in being active in different ways. And so, you know, for me, it's kind of part and parcel of what I do um, and just continuing to find ways to to support, um, you know, my community and the broader community. Um, and right now, part of what we're doing with Educators of Color Network is providing professional development sessions for educators uh, to have conversations about anti-racist education. Um, a little bit more attention is being paid to that right now, I think, with some of the events of this last spring. And so uh, really trying to provide support so that these are conversations that continue and that aren't just a trend right now in education. Michelle Jean-Paul, principal of Ecole Templeton in Amber Trails, joining us live on 680 CJOB for Black History Month. Michelle, thank you so much. What a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Your students are lucky to have you, Michelle. Oh, thanks.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.